formed and shaped. And I was just curious. That's an easy one to divide on. Some of us are black and white. Some of us see a whole lot of gray. And I think that does, it, it shapes how we relate to the Lord. So that was just curious. A few announcements. You can turn to 1 Corinthians um, 1 while I'm telling you these. Next Sunday we'll have a baptism service, 9 and 11. We baptize believers here. If you're a Christian and you've never been baptized, then you need to be. And next Sunday would be a great day to do that. Please come see me if you have any questions. If you have children who have made a decision to follow Jesus and they're interested in baptism, Penny will be talking to them about that. And we can help you together uh, try to discern if your kid is ready to be baptized or not. We do that once a quarter so you don't need to feel a lot of pressure if you're not going to be here, if you're not quite ready. But I want you to know that is coming up next Sunday. Um, Short-term mission teams, we're in the process of uh, recruiting, I guess. We're taking volunteers for short-term mission trip leaders. Uh, you can see Brandon Scarborough in the back there if you know, don't know him. He is coordinating all short-term mission work for us. If you're interested in leading a trip, we have a short application we'd like you to fill out, have a conversation with Brandon, and y'all can figure out, is this a trip that's viable for Stonebridge? Um, in terms of experience and qualifications and all of that, don't worry about that. If you feel like God is calling you to lead a trip, fill out the application, and we'll together work out whether now's the right time and if that's the right place. We want to see y'all just taking a step. If you feel like the Lord is leading you to lead a short-term trip, you can see Brandon. Um, two other things that I guess are tied together. One, this service, um, our, we, we we're kind of overrun with elementary school children. We have... We recruited leaders six weeks ago, and we had what we needed six weeks ago, and we've increased our number of elementary school children over the last six weeks. So we need some help. We need a, uh, somebody to help with third through fifth grade girls and third through fifth grade boys. So we're looking for a small group leader to help. We have people leading those groups, but they're, they're not really small groups at this point. It's, they're mid-sized. So um, we're trying to cut those groups or at least give the leaders some relief and some help. So... Uh, Third through fifth grade girls, obviously we want a woman to lead that. Third through fifth grade boys, again, obviously we want a man to lead that. I just encourage you to pray, and if that's what the Lord would have you do, we would love for you to step into that role. And tying into that, I mentioned a few weeks ago that we're, we're looking at maybe moving into a third service uh, if we continue to grow. We're not doing that next Sunday, but we're trying to make some plans for that. And one of the things that we need is input from y'all. I need to know what service y'all would go to. We've never asked you to commit before, but we're trying to make sure that all three of these things are viable and that we have uh, people to minister to our kids at all three services. So next week, I'm going to ask you just to tell us which of these three services you'd come to. I'll tell you now so you can talk about it this week, and if you have any questions or comments, you can let us know. We're going to do an 830, which I don't imagine very many of you will come to since you already come at 11. A 10, which I get it, like if worship in heaven is at 10 o'clock in the morning. I get It's the best time of the day. I get it. It doesn't help us if everybody comes at 10. And we're also going to have an 1130 service, which will be perfect for some of y'all because that's the time you get here anyway. So <laughs> what we're going to do, our commitment is we're actually going to start on time. Um, we're going to shorten our services. Right now they run about 85, 80 to 90 minutes. We're going to shorten them to 70. Starting on time will help. We'll do some other things. I don't think we'll lose any of the culture that makes us 
us. At 8.30, we will not offer Pathfinders. That will just be 0 through 4K. So uh, if you have kids that age, that would be a good service. Nine, uh, excuse me, at 10 and 11.30, we will have um, full Pathfinders. And then the youth deal that's happening right now will happen at 11.30. That pullout with the middle school, he's going to continue to do that at 11.30. So we just need to hear from you all, and we'll see if it works. If it doesn't work, we'll come up with something else. So um, that will be next week. If you have any questions, you can uh, email me, and we can see if we can figure that out. So have you all ever heard of a Mondo Green? M-O-N-D-E-G-R-E-E-N. No? It's when you mishear a song lyric. You've, mis- you've misheard song lyrics, right? Mm-hmm. So there's some popular ones, kind of the most common. Jimi Hendrix has one of the top two or three, excuse me while I kiss the sky. People hear, excuse me while I kiss this guy. Not what he's saying. Um, CCR has one. There's a bad moon on the rise. There's a bathroom on the right. That's one that has been full up. Um, who's the Boss fans? Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer. I'm not sure which one of those is actually better or worse. But those are the lyrics. The one that, for me, there was the mo- I didn't get. The Bee Gees, Staying Alive, Steak and a Knife. How? Steak and a Knife, Steak and a Knife. Ooh, 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 ooh. Steak and a knife, steak and a knife. They're out there. There's some decent videos. They all have one thing that made it not church worthy or it would have been good. So I can just tell you a few. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's having this struggle with this church that he started. And a lot of it has to do with they're they're not hearing. He's saying this is the deal. This is the gospel that you received. You're mishearing me on the words. Last week we looked at this whole idea of unity, how important it was to Paul, how important it was to Jesus, and today he's going after the gospel, their understanding of it. They've missed it on two pretty fundamental points, and he's trying to get them to wake up. These guys are Christians, they're people who are following Jesus. They've just misheard some key tenets of the gospel. The thing for us is most of us aren't going to mishear the same way the Corinthians misheard. They say these Mondegreen things. It's people hear what they expect to hear. You hear what you think's coming next. So I've been a hungry person. Here's steak and a knife. Or again, a who's the boss fan? Here's Tony Danza. But it's that's what we expect, and we bring our uh, past experiences to bear on these things and predicting what is supposed to come next. What we hear, and so because we're all individual, we all have different backgrounds. We have different experiences. We've been brought up in different ways. We all have a different script that we're reading off of, so we're going to hear things differently, and we're going to mishear things differently. The way I mishear the gospel is probably not the way Kenny does because we're not the same guy. So I'm going to give you some broad things uh, that the Corinthians struggled with, and then we're going to take some time and try to listen to the Lord and see if he'll show us the areas where we're missing it. So that's what we're doing. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 1, start in verse 18. For the message of the cross, so the message of the cross is the gospel. And what Paul is talking about specifically is that Jesus died for them. That's what they're having a hard time with because of the the weakness associated with the crucified Messiah. They're pushing back from that. And Paul is reminding them that's the message of the cross. Jesus' blood paid for your sins. His death for your life. 
The message of the cross is foolishness. That word foolishness doesn't mean silly. It means stupid. It's where we get the word moron from. So that's, there's this disdain underneath. It's not, oh, that's just silly talk. It's that it's ridiculous. What kind of message is that? What kind of God would be pushing that type of message? What kind of person is going to believe something so stupid? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? That's where is the Greek philosopher? Where is the scholar, the Jewish scribe? Where is the philosopher of this age? That's anybody who's making judgments on what God has done from a human perspective. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The implied answer is yes, he has. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Notice that, to save those who believe, not to save those who were wise, to save those who were smart, to save those who figured it out. Jews demand miraculous signs. They're looking for displays of power to vindicate this message. Prove that you're the Messiah. We just got through Mark. How many times do we see the religious leaders not getting Jesus? Show us a sign. Prove it. Demonstrate for us that you are this called one, chosen one of God. That's what they're looking for. We want you to exercise your power in a way that we would exercise the power if we were you. Demonstrate that you're God. Greeks, excuse me, Jews demand a a miraculous sign. Greeks look for wisdom. Does this make sense? Is this rational? Is this what we, is this the plan that we would have? Is this the way we would go about saving the world if we were in charge? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews because that's, that's an oxymoron. How does God's chosen one get crucified? If, if everyone who's hung on a tree is cursed and the, and the Christ is blessed, that doesn't work. It's a stumbling block for them. Again, it's stupid to the Gentiles. It doesn't make sense. An innocent man dying, God dying on behalf of other people. That's not how it works. God sit up in heaven and tell everybody else, here's what I expect you to do for me. If you do it well enough for long enough, then we'll talk. This idea of a God becoming a man and dying for the sins of, of his people, it's foolish. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, you see the, what changes it from being foolish to being wisdom is the calling of God, this initiation God takes in saving us. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger Demands strength. So what's happened there is the the Corinthians they've misheard Paul's message because they they've replaced God's wisdom with theirs. They've pulled God's wisdom out, which is this crucified Messiah, and in its place they've put human wisdom, which is this is what we would do if we were in charge. This is what makes sense to us. If I was all powerful, this is how I would use my power, and this is what I, how I would choose to save the world. They've just they've they've replaced what God has done in their minds with what they would have done if they were him. We do that all the time. Well, if I was God, shoot, we don't say it necessarily like that, but we think it. If I had all that power and I knew that there was this woman with cancer, I'd done. We do this Bruce Almighty syndrome. Just give us the power and watch what we do. Watch how we can work these things out. That's replacing his wisdom with ours. Isaiah, what is it, 55. His ways are not our ways. 
his thoughts are not our thoughts. It's difficult for us because Jesus, man, God become flesh. He's a man. He dwelt with us. He lived with us, flesh and bone. He was hungry like we were and tired. But God, is, he's not one of us. He's other than us. And that's, there's that distance there. And sometimes our tendency is to pull him down to our level. Verse, what is it, 21. Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That's kind of a convoluted way of saying you can't figure him out on your own. God has to reveal himself to us for us to know who he is. And what's happening is the Corinthians are going the other way. They're starting from earth and trying to reason to God in heaven. And what Paul is saying is you can't do that. You've got to start with this revelation from heaven, and then that becomes the standard on earth. Go through the Old Testament. This is how God always works. We know that God is a provider because he showed himself to be that on the Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac. Sacrifice your son. Okay, I'm going to do it. Knife's up, coming down. Angel says, stop, don't. There's a ram over there in the thorns for you to sacrifice. And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. That was revelation from God. Abraham didn't reason that on his own. God revealed that to him. Read Exodus 3. It's a great chapter. God revealing himself to Moses. Here's my name. Here's what my name means. Here's how you respond to me. Again, Moses didn't come up with all of that. Moses didn't decide that God's name was Yahweh. God revealed that to him. Here's my name. Because you're not going to figure it out on your own. When we try to figure out God from our perspective, we wind up best case scenario with Superman. A God a lot like us, just with superpowers. Worst case scenario, you get these corrupt ugly, selfish, not even worth calling gods, gods. That's what the Greeks and the Romans had. Read their stories. Read Roman and Greek mythology. It's a mess. Why in the world would anybody want to serve a god like that? That's what we come up with when we start here and work there. Some of us do that when it comes to this whole idea of God as our father. Natural first instinct. I've got a dad, and so I'm thinking when I hear father, I'm seeing Pat Eldridge, and I'm going to look at my heavenly father through that lens. Y'all do the same thing. No dad can measure up to that. No matter how wonderful your dad is, he's not, he can't be a full picture of your heavenly father. That's why we've got to start up here with him and then work backwards versus starting with what we know here and trying to reason to him, reason to the Lord above. It doesn't work that way. Anyway, that's what the Corinthians are doing. Paul's saying you can't do that anymore, you're not going to get who he is. You're going to create God in your own image versus allowing him to define himself. You're going to wind up missing him. The key to this whole thing is relationship. To you who believe what used to be foolish now becomes wisdom. To you who are called, this idea of relating with him, that's the key. It's not gaining more wisdom. It's not gaining more insight. It's not gaining more understanding. All of those things are fine. The difference maker is the relationship. It's trust. Again, that could be a difficult thing for us. Some of you get paid, and you get paid well to make really good decisions, to weigh everything out, to look at all the options, to do the cost-benefit, the pro-con, whatever you call it, to figure all of that stuff out, and then to make the most practical or the most efficient or the most cost-effective, the best, however you define best, decision. Difficult to flip from that perspective 
to this perspective, which says, it's going to be foolish until you trust me. Like that sounds like a sucker's bet, doesn't it? Trust me, and then you'll understand. No. I want to understand first, and then I can trust you. It's not how the Lord works. Most of the, It's not a blind leap. It's a blind step, I would say. There is a trust element there that he requires. Not just initially in saying yes to him, but regularly as he asks us to obey him. I know very few people who get ten steps in advance. I don't think God works that way. You want a blueprint? Find something else. That's not how he works. He's not going to give you the next ten years of your life. You're lucky if he gives you the next ten days of what he wants you to do. It's much more of a daily thing, isn't it? Do you trust me enough to say yes today? Do you trust me enough to say yes today? That's what he's asking. Again, it's not a blind leap, but there is it's a step of faith. You can't know for certain what you're stepping out into, and it's a relationship. It's so important. The Corinthians were missing that. They had taken relationship and trust away, and in its place put wisdom. No, it's not how it works with the Lord. Verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standard. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. That's exactly what you think. He's saying, y'all, you weren't who's who. You weren't senior superlative. You, had, you brought nothing to the table here. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's talking about them. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why did he do that? So that no one may boast before him. Boast doesn't just mean take pride in. It can also mean to trust in. I think that's what's underlying all of this. I don't want you, not just I don't want you to take pride in your resume. I don't want you to trust in it either. It's because of him, that is, it's because of God that you're in Christ Jesus. Again, you've got this initiative that God takes in salvation. Uh, it's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is righteousness. That is, he's justified us. He's made us right with God. Holiness, he's set us apart for his purposes and redemption. He's delivered us from bondage. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Not just glory in the Lord, but trust in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers... I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I received, or excuse me, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's that picture again. That's the message of the cross. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom. There's that idea of human wisdom again but on God's power. What Paul is saying, not only have you replaced God's wisdom with your own, you've replaced God's standards with your own or God's values with your own. And the way he gets at them is he kind of shines a spotlight on who they are. What they've done, they see themselves as this spiritually elite church. They're better than everybody else. We talked about that last week. They see themselves, they're spiritual snobs. They think they're better than everybody else because of Spirit, the, because, really it's because of the frequency with which they speak in tongues. And so that's elevated them in their own eyes and they see themselves as the thing. And so they've replaced God's values, the weak, the lowly, the things are, with theirs. We're spiritually elite, we've had these experiences and we're better 
than everyone else. And so what Paul does is he reminds them of what they were and who they were before they became Christians. Do you remember, guys? Y'all were nothing to write home about. No, nobody here was a homecoming king, homecoming queen, captain of the football team, whatever. You were none of that. None of y'all were any of that. You were the things that aren't. You were the lowly things. You were the weak things. And God picked you. And why did he pick you? So you wouldn't boast in your resume. Not only so it wouldn't be, you wouldn't brag about it, you wouldn't take pride in it, but also so you wouldn't trust it. You don't want to trust those things. For us, grace is slippery. We don't live in a society where grace is a value. We live in a society where, best case scenario, fair is a value. You get what you get. What's fair? It's not a value in the kingdom of God. He doesn't do fair. He does grace and he does mercy. Grace for him. Undeserved favor. There's a parable, I think it's in Matthew, of these vineyard workers. You've heard this story before. A guy goes out at 6 in the morning. Who wants to come work for me? He gets a group, says, I'm going to pay you $100. Great. He goes back at 9, finds some more, gets them to come work. Goes back at noon, gets some more, tells them to come work. Goes back at 3, gets some more. Goes back at 5 and gets some more. They knock off at 6, and he starts paying the guys at 5 first. They come to him, he gives them $100. The guys at three, $100. The guys who've been working since noon, $100. These guys have been working at nine and six, just like you and me. Well, I guess we're going to get more because we work more, right? That's fair. Fair's fair. The guy at nine, how much does they get? $100. And the guy who's been there since six, born the heat of the day, he says, worked all day long, 12 times as long as this other dude, how much does he get? $100. He's ticked. It's not fair. And the guy says, my money. Who are you to tell me what to do with it? You and me had a deal. This was the deal. Most of us, if we're honest, would say, I got hired at six, maybe nine. Maybe Billy Graham got hired at six. We got hired at nine. None of us that I know of say we got hired at five. We don't see ourselves that way. We don't see ourselves as the guy that just got hired. We have an earn-it mentality because that's where we live. We live in an earn-it society. And it's difficult for us to grab on to grace and say, yes, it's, it's all grace. I read a quote, the son of Sam Hiller. His name, I think his name is David Berkowitz. He's become a Christian since he's in jail. How about that? I don't know if you think that's good or bad. If you're a justice guy, you're probably thinking, mm, hope he's in the back of the line somehow. He gets a shack instead of a mansion or something. Like, how does that work? And he, he, there was a quote, and he said, you know, I'm not seeking parole. I need to stay right here in this cell. I'm good with the Lord. I'm good this way, but I'm not good this way. This is the best place for me. If you're a grace, we all would say he got hired at five. And I would also say we're, we're nothing like him. We're good people. We don't do what he did. So to put ourselves in the same category as saying I've received a gift the same way he's received a gift, difficult for us to get our arms around. We, I think many of us have this, we have a little bit of a works or an earn it mentality that corrupts grace. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we've been saved by grace. It's a gift. Why? So that no one can boast. Not just so we can't brag, God, you got a great first round draft pick when you got me. Aren't you lucky? But also, so we can't trust. If I'm trusting in my resume, what happens when I get a ding on it? If I'm trusting in my righteousness, what happens when I sin? 
If I'm trusting in my pedigree, what happens when it's exposed? If I'm trusting in how often I come to church or how strong my prayer life is or how I worship or whatever, if I'm trusting in any of that, what happens if those things get shaky? What happens if they go away? What happens when I have a bad week or a bad two weeks? Then my salvation is in question. If my salvation is a reward, if it's what I've earned because of how good I am, then I'm in trouble when I stop being as good as I am or as good as I think I am. Grace is this firmest place on which to stand because it's rooted in the heart of God. And that doesn't change. Sometimes it's hard to receive a gift. It's better to receive a gift because then you receiving, it's all based on the giver. It's not based on you and it's not based on me. So I can just grab it and say, thank you. I'm not going to boast in who I am or who I think I am or what I've done or what I think I've done. I'm going to choose to boast in the fact that I was hired at 5 o'clock and I'm just glad to be here. Paul comes back and says, even about himself, They've replaced. He said, listen, look at me. It's not just y'all. You don't live up to your own standards. You're acting a, this elite, super spiritual, superiority thing you have going on. You don't live up to that yourself. You're not that. Paul says, I wasn't that either. Look at how I came to you. I came in weakness and fear and trembling. And he says, here's the evidence that you'll know the thing that I preached was true he talks about demonstration of the Spirit's power. I don't think that's signs or wonders or miracles. Those things are fine. It's their changed lives. I think what he's saying is, you believed this, and it changed you, so how are you now saying, why are you trading it for something else? It worked. It worked in you. You're a testimony. You're a demonstration of the truth of this message of a crucified Messiah. You are evidence of the Spirit at work. So why are you trying to trade that now for something else. So what does that mean for us? Again, I don't know that you maybe struggle in the same way areas that the Corinthians struggle. I would say pretty confidently you probably don't struggle in the same places that I do. We all hear the lyrics differently. We're all bringing something to the table. We've all got glasses on or filters, however you want to say that, that we're using to interpret what's coming at us. A few for you to think about. One, I would say, is the Father deal. Whether your father was great or not great, sometimes when we hear Heavenly Father, you're, what you're hearing and what he's saying, it's not the same. It's getting confused on the way because it's running through the filter of your earthly dad. You don't have to do Oprah and Dr. Phil and all that. You just need to recognize that's the case. And you need to let, you need to be willing to circumvent earthly dad to get to Heavenly Father if you have to. And let him set the definition for what a father is. Not your own dad. No matter how wonderful your dad is, let God set the definition. This is what a father is. And then work from there. And then you bless your dad for all the places where he lines up, and you give him grace for all the places that he doesn't. Good. Grace, that's another one we just mentioned. For some of us, we get this earn it, works, wages, payment, reward mentality that undercuts grace. We underplay that note. Sometimes it's just a good thing to, even if you don't truly believe it in your heart, just to say to the Lord, I get it. You hired me at 5 o'clock. You say it enough, you'll begin to realize, you know what, it's true. You were hired late, and I was hired late. And everything we've 
Everything we've received is grace. It's gift. None of it is deserved. That's a great place for us to land. If you're like me and you're a justice guy, sometimes you've gotta, you might have to say that twice a day. Just to remind yourself, I was, I was saved by grace, and I'm thankful for that. So I want to extend that grace to others. I don't want to hold them to a standard that I wasn't held to from the Lord. For some, it may be a relationship. We can buy in. People like me, Jesus died to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you of your sins, to forgive you of your sins. No, he died to reconcile you to God, and forgiveness of sins is step one. It's never meant to be the be-all, end-all. He's forgiven of us forgiven us of our sins in order to remove the barrier that keeps us from relating to him. And now we can relate to him. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that you know me. Not this is eternal life, that your sins are forgiven. That you know me. That's what he's going for with us is relationship. It's something that has to be cultivated intentionally, and sometimes we lose that. We focus on this legal act of being justified, of being forgiven, and think, well, I'm good. I got the get-out-of-hell-free card. There's much more to it than that. He's looking for relationship from you. If you're a task person, it might be hard for you. If you're, um, how do I say this? If you're not the most emotionally in tune person, then relationship can be difficult, especially with somebody you can't see. You know, the idea, like, the, the idea of God as a father, or, you know, it, the Bible talks about Jesus as a, our groom, and that's weird, especially for guys. And so for some of that, that, it can cause us to pull back from this relational element with him. That's something that needs to be played up. The goal of all of this, Romans 8.29, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what he's doing in us. He wants to make us look as much like Jesus as possible before we die. Sometimes we miss that. Maybe unconsciously we think the goal is to live a good life. That's what he wants. He wants our life to be good and happy and blessed and all of those kind of nice rainbows and mockingbirds or not mockingbirds, blue jay, bluebirds, not blue jays either, bluebirds, all of that. That's what we kind of get this picture that that's what it is and it's, it's not, you know. It, that's great, but that's not the goal. The goal is when he cracks open your chest and looks inside, it looks like his son. And oftentimes, the means for to that end are, it's sandpaper. It's difficulties. It's trying circumstances. It's confusion. It's loss. It's failure. It's frustration. And I'm not saying whether God authored those things or not. I'm saying to him, those aren't all necessarily bad things. He uses them for his purposes. He redeems all of that to conform us into the image of Jesus. And if what we think is just trying to solve our problems, then we miss it sometimes. We're saying, God, fix this, solve this problem, and he's saying, no, grow. I'll fix it once you grow. It's a different mentality. We don't want to miss that with him, that that's what he's doing in our life. He's not harsh, he's not a taskmaster, but to recognize that his ultimate desire for us is our transformation not necessarily our happiness. That's somewhere farther down the list. Let's take a minute and pray, and we'll wrap up. So like I said, I don't know what you're, I don't know. If there's 100 and, 
50 people in the room, there's 150 different scripts. So I'm just going to ask the Lord, God, I pray that you would, in these next couple of minutes, you would speak to every man and woman in this room. Any places where we, we're, we're hearing the wrong lyrics, I pray that you would correct us. Obviously, we think what we're hearing is right. That's why we think it. So we need, we need something external to show us. And so we're asking you, Father, to send your spirit and to correct us, to hold that mirror up and let us see. Lord, kind of put anything in your heart, maybe one of the ones we talked about, maybe the mercy, justice thing, those are actually both attributes of God, but we can tend to hammer one and ignore the other based on our personality. I want you to just pray this in your heart with me. God, I confess that I've substituted, and then just confess it. Lord, I repent of that. I turn in the other direction. And I pray that you would begin to sow seeds of truth into my heart. For some of you, you've, you've misheard for 20 years. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for you to start hearing the right, the right words. And God, I want to pray for that we would give ourselves grace to grow into the fullness of who you are that you would continue to reveal yourself to us. And that we would be humble enough to say, I don't know it all. There's more for me. And God, that we would live our lives out of the truth of who you are and how you act. We would never call foolish the way you've chosen, the way you've chosen to work in our world and to work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to do this. Uh, Bo's going to sing, and we're going to...